Hi, and welcome to MentorCore. If you're new here, we're a community focused on helping people in the security, risk, and compliance fields grow their careers and leadership skills through mentoring. You can find more information about MentorCore at mentorcore.biz. I'm Dan Ayala, along with Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. Now, on to this week's discussion. Hi, everybody, and welcome. Uh, we're back with another MentorCore. And this week we have Marcy Tweet, who is the founder and CEO of Marcy Tweet Consulting and, uh, and the host of the uh, Table Stakes podcast. Marcy, welcome. Hi, great to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, well, Marcy, why don't we start out with a little bit about who you are and uh, yeah, what's, your, what's your backstory? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have been working in um, what I think I would call term social impact for a long time, and that morphed into corporate social responsibility and corporate citizenship, and now what, what the world would refer to as ESG in environmental, social, and governance practices for my entire career. Um, I started in the nonprofit sector working in government relations, nonprofit fundraising and marketing, and then made the jump over to corporate. Um, I led corporate sustainability and sustainability um, for the Americas region of the world's largest steel company for a number of years. And then in 2018, after I had gotten my MBA from Kellogg, left that company and had fully expected to land back in a, a corporate gig. And, you know, I always joke that if there was a um, head of sustainability job open in 2016, 2017, 2018, I probably interviewed for it. Um, and I just kept taking consulting projects. And now here I am <laughs> four years later, um, still an entrepreneur and um, have really just fallen in love with this world of ESG consulting. And there's so much movement and excitement happening in every company around the world related to environmental and social and governance issues right now. It's been a wonderful place to be, and I'm super glad to be out on my own. So you come at this with the back back when this is all getting started perspective, yeah. um, which is really great. So what's changed about the world of ESG from the beginning to now? Yeah, I think, you know, I always talk about the sort of movement of ESG has come, you have to sort of go back as far as post-World War II, when for the first time, companies like Standard Oil and U.S. Steel were expected to play in the social arena to help rebuild from the war and to invest in their communities in a different way, bringing people back to work. And that sort of started these corporate foundations, which eventually became family foundations like the Rockefeller Foundation and the Carnegie Foundation and all of these things that go forward. And then over the 70s and 80s, that kind of morphed into this idea of corporate social responsibility as we knew it in the sort of 90s and early 2000s. And then that morph happened again in sophistication to get us to sustainability and ESG. And it essentially said, what is the real responsibility of a corporation? Why do you exist? And the real responsibility of every corporation is not just to sell widgets or to um, you know, produce whatever service it does. It's really to move something forward for our society. And I think there's been this push um, kind of out of the Milton Friedman, you have to generate shareholder value to this idea of holistic stakeholder value across your areas of impact. And that impact 
impact can be positive or it can be negative. And so for companies like Exxon and BP and, you know, the steel company that I worked for, ArcelorMittal, it's sometimes about negative and mitigating your negative environmental and social footprint. And for other companies, it's about thinking about where you can have a real positive footprint. So it's moved along the lines from this kind of nice to have philanthropic um, endeavor to being really business and strategy connected. I, I love this, you know, between the three of us, we've got kind of like the historical um, uh, knowledge about uh, security and privacy and compliance and ESG. And, it, you know, it's an interesting story. And all of these different kind of orbits are moving forward at the same time. Um, what do you think ESG has in common with security and privacy and compliance. Well, it's interesting. We talked about this when you were on my podcast, Lisa, of, you know, it's the, the areas of the company that nobody ever gets rewarded for what doesn't happen. They're the pieces of the company that protect the company, protect the company's reputation. Think about what could happen, plan for risk, plan for issues. Um, I always use Target as an example because I think they did a fantastic job through the pandemic. You know, my joke about Target and the pandemic is they didn't suddenly overnight order the stanchions that went between the customer and, and the, the worker at every Target checkout. They had them because they had planned for it and they knew that it was possible. They really had pandemic plans in place. And I think those kinds of things, we don't see those actions happening until there's something like a pandemic to showcase them to us. So it's all of these people working behind the scenes in a conference room to conference room, conversation to conversation, issue to issue kind of way to protect a company, to protect their shareholders and stakeholders and to do for lack of a poly, a better term is kind of polyanda to do the right thing for, you know, people, planet and the purpose and profits of the company. And if we all collectively do our jobs right, nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> no one notices because <laughs> things went smoothly. And it's, it, this is right. perfection it, landed with a thud. <laughs> Y2K. You know, yes, today is right. two. The day we're recording this is two two twenty two, and there was a joke earlier about do we need to set our computers for this? Um, <laughs> and of course, you know, thoughts went back to Y two K and all of the work yeah. that went into the planning of Y two K, which meant that the day happened and everybody went, see, it wasn't a big issue. Now, granted, in a pandemic, far easier to see that it is a big issue, but in many cases, there's so mm -hmm. many things happening in all of these fields that um, that happen and nobody notices, which means good job for us. You know, we yeah, did, we did the right things. And the pandemic is one of those things where you see companies that have gotten things right early on. My husband works for a, a legal tech and consulting firm out of California. And when my husband got hired um, with his company five years ago, they did all his interviews on Zoom. And I remember them mailing him a computer like directly from Apple. And I'm like, who are these people? Like they're not flying. And he was interviewing for a director level job. Like he wasn't, you know, a, a low level person in the company. And I'm like, they're not flying you out there. They're just mailing you stuff. And they've done incredibly well 
well through the pandemic because they they had planned for this. They kind of knew what was coming. It's almost, I think, compliance and security and ESG have to be the futurists for a company and have to think about what's coming, what's next. And I think we're all in this place too, where the pandemic is really top of mind, but people keep asking me in ESG, like what's the next thing we should all be planning for? And I think compliance and security and ESG is already there. We're thinking about what's coming next and what could hurt us or what could help us. I love that. Um, now, I know that one of the things that you're really passionate about is um, where you're spending your dollars from an investment standpoint. And one of the things I heard you talk about was kind of uh, the Marcy Tweet standard for, do you <laughs> invest in a company or not based on what you're seeing from a sustainability perspective? So can you talk a little bit about that and, 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 and the things that you're thinking about right now? Yeah. So as you know, ESG has evolved, um, socially responsible investing. So what we would call SRI or issue specific investing or ESG investing has also evolved. And it's an interesting kind of thing because there's two ways to look at ESG or socially responsible investing. There's a negative screen and a positive screen, right? So you can say, I don't want to invest in guns, germs, and steel, right? I don't, I don't want to have any oil in my my portfolio. I don't want to have any guns or, or any of those kinds of things in my portfolio. And that's one way to do it. Um, the other way to do things is in a positive screen. So you ask a question like, does this company have parity for women and people of, the, of color on its board of directors? So I only want to invest in companies that have women on their board. Or I only want to invest in companies that are, you know, publishing an ESG report, or I only want to invest in companies that are tracking their emissions or setting science-based targets. And it, it's an interesting way to look at it, but a lot of people right now will tell you in the investing space, there's an, a number of, there's a lot of greenwashing going on in the investing space. So what used to be sort of ESG flavored ETFs or, or bonds, a lot of people are throwing the word ESG on the top of an ETF and like calling it done. And it's it's not great. And so you, you have to go through and really vet out like what's important to you in each of these areas. So I was telling Lisa on my podcast, I have taken um, not a lot, but a little bit of my own money and I'm going to start talking about this in my podcast and writing about it. And I've invested in a suite of 19 companies currently that I have evaluated across my own kind of spectrum of how do I think about a company? And I'll give you a few examples that um, are things that like a normal, like Morningstar would, would kill me if they knew I was, I was doing, like they would never evaluate a company this way. But like one of my things is, do you have a rock star ESG CEO? Um, because that's a huge deal. If from the top, so Satya Nadella from Microsoft is, is the best there is, or Bill McDermott from SAP, best there are in, in ESG. They talk about ESG as if it's their whole job and it's just in who they are. And that tone at the top spreads down really fast. Um, you know, one of my other things is, do you have a chief sustainability officer who truly reports to the CEO or the board of directors. Um, I look at multiple levels of diversity. So a lot of ETFs and, and investments look at board diversity. I then look at management committee diversity and whether or not you're also reporting on business line leader diversity. So for instance, if you've got a management committee that's half women and half men, are all of the women in traditionally female 
roles like head of HR or, you know, or do you have actual business line leaders who are women? And I think that says a lot about the company. So there's a lot of things that I've put in this. I've got like about 20 um, sort of pieces of criteria that I'm evaluating and I sort of watch my portfolio. And my idea is over the course of a year or five or 10 to see whether or not my, my criteria, the Marcy tweet criteria um, beats beats regular ETF criteria or beats the S and P. So it'll be interesting to see. Oh, That's what a fantastic experiment! <laughs> and um, FYI, uh, for anybody who uh, follows the SEC, I think you'll probably end up seeing more disclosures that can help you make these decisions, and yeah. certainly much more enforcement of uh, funds that are labeling themselves ESG and either not voting the way that they say they will. Mm -hmm or not actually having anything underneath it. So it'll be interesting times for sure. <laughs> well, and it's one of those things, I think it's become more commonplace for individual investors, but read sustainability reports, especially when you're thinking about if people are listed on a stock exchange, they better have a sustainability report or they better have some information on their website. If they don't, it's a huge red flag, but you can find out a lot about these companies in the same way you can by reading a 10K or reading an annual report, but a sustainability report puts the sort of ESG at the forefront and it's it's incredibly transparent. It often freaks out the lawyers in the room, right? Of how transparent we yeah. often are in ESG to say, here's the good, the bad and the ugly and what we're doing about it. Let's take that transparency that you, so being in the security and the privacy space and the data protection, the word transparency comes up a lot in terms of data and data use. And I'm curious if you're starting to see data becoming part of the social, greater part of the social component of ESG moves, whereas yes. it's been, you know, it's been different topics up to now. Is data starting to play more into that in terms of how it affects bias, how, what level of transparency you've got? Is that becoming a thing in ESG now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think data and data management and, and data verification in general has been incredibly important. Um, the investors who are the best in this space are saying, hey, guys, it's no longer enough for you to put the number on the page. We need to know where it came from. We need you to show your work. Um, and go through these processes. And especially as companies are setting, you see a lot of companies setting 2030 goals or 2040 goals. Investors are saying like, you don't just get to check the box on that 2030 goal. You have to tell us how you got there, be transparent about what the, what the data really shows and let us know what's there. And, you know, I think investors are getting smarter to this. Um, one of the things that we've seen in ESG over, over the course of time. It's kind of a, an awful example, but um, it's true. If you had read Volkswagen's ESG reports incredibly closely over the years prior to the admission scandal, you could have seen it coming. Mm -hmm. And some investors did because there was a point at which Volkswagen just kind of stopped talking about tailpipe emissions after they'd had whole sections in their ESG reports about tailpipe emissions. They just kind of stopped. Now there's a hundred people in between the, the stuff that happened at Volkswagen and the ESG person who pressed send on that report, right? And so it's not their fault, but at some point somebody could have gone and I'm certain that someone in Volkswagen did, hey guys, what's going on here? 
Like, why are we no longer doing this? Why are we no longer talking about this? And investors are getting really smart to that. When you see investors have very, um, there are a number of investors that have really uh, sophisticated AI systems that will crawl your report and find sections that you removed year over year. The modern and go, canary. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what happened here? Why aren't you talking about it? Why have you suddenly, you know, all of the pharmaceutical companies who are involved in the opioid use scandal suddenly stopped talking about abuse and started talking about misuse? It was a very calculated move and investors saw it and they recognized it and they paid attention to it. And if they did their right job in ESG, they adjusted their portfolios accordingly. So I, I love where this is going um, for the uninitiated. So I like I know there are lots of people in compliance and there are lots of people in security who have not taken the time to read an ESG report <laughs> because that's just a little extra. And you know how, how, how I feel about making sure that you are yeah. a scholar of your company. Um, what part should you read? Because some of it for 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 a newbie um, who's just reading this for the first time can be a little bit confusing. How would you start down the path of learning more about this when it comes to your organization? Yeah. So I mean, first of all, find your ESG you know reporting center on on your website. You know, Google your company and ESG. You'll find either the report or the data or you know information about it. The first thing I would always read. Most of those reports have a CEO letter read that because even if you've got five minutes, read the CEO letter because it generally has a recap of what's in the report, good or bad, what things to watch for. And then drop down to the end of the report. That's where the data tables are. And it'll kind of show you some of the highlights of what's happening inside your company as it relates to the things that you most care about. So again, think about what's important to you. Maybe if you work for a company that, you know, is a food production company. Maybe what's most important to you is how that company treats its animals. Then get to that section and, you know, control find and search all the things about animals. Maybe what's most important to you is how many women are there in that company. If you're looking at a company and considering working for them, what are the things that you want to match to your values? Do they have a paid leave program? Do they have maternity leave? Do they have employee engagement? Do they have an employee resource group system for diversity? Those things will all be in their sustainability report. Um, usually a company, it's either structured in E, S, and G, or they might have a set of pillars that is something like people, planets, you know, philanthropy or, you know, community or whatever that might be. So find the places that are most interesting to you and really, you know, get nerdy about what your company does in those areas. Yeah, you definitely are the company. You, you are a representative of that. So you should know what it is that that's saying about you. Yeah. The, the, the move of, um, the move of companies to spend more time on this, uh, is clear in the public space in public companies are private companies following the same level of, uh, the, the same level of transparency. Are they a fast follower? Is it yeah. not um, happening? No, it's happening and it's happening very fast. And I actually think, um, some private companies are doing ESG better than the public's um, because they don't have the same compliance responsibilities as the public's do in terms of putting a lot of information um, out about their companies, which is interesting. Um, I, when I first started my business in 2018, 
I would say my business was about 70, 30, like big fortune 50 and small enterprise. And that has flipped entirely um, since the beginning of the pandemic. If you weren't thinking about ESG in 2019, you are thinking about it today. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mean to say that to discredit the big fortune 100s or fortune 500s, because actually they are pushing the biggest thing that the Fortune 500s have done in the last two or three years to engage the private sector and to engage um, private companies and smaller growth stage companies is require things of their suppliers. And so that's where, you know, I work with a couple of um, really amazing private companies that have, um, that run data centers and hyperscale data co-location centers. Their clients are people like Microsoft and Apple and Google. And those are bar none best in the world at sustainability, and they are requiring their suppliers to go with them on it. And so if you are a privately owned company, but you supply the big dogs, you are your feet are being held to the fire as much as anybody else's are to meet renewable energy goals, to meet diversity goals, to meet um, all of these different sort of places. And there's been a great collaboration of big companies and small companies coming together to meet those goals. So I love working in the growth stage company phase. Um, I think their teams and their C-suites are fast moving and scrappy. And it's not as, you know, when you think of a big, huge company, biggest companies in the world, Walmart, Target, all those things, they're big ships that take a really long time to turn. And sometimes when I get in these smaller companies, that are, you know, doing great things, making money well, they can turn on a dime and they can make decisions fast. And it's really, it's fun to see. Give, giving the same disclaimer I give during my podcast, you know, that which I'm about to say may or may not be my own actual, my act, my own actual feeling. <laughs> the, you know, there, there, this falls right in line with where we're seeing, you know, raw, smaller companies that need to adhere to this high, and for yep. those not watching on the video, that's a high bar, a high bar mark, watermark. Um, it means they have to grow up very quickly. It has the potential for forcing investment into certain areas much more quickly than they're necessarily ready for. It has the potential to hamper the companies. Is it worth it for those companies to do that investment or slow grow when they're and 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 hit those watermarks when they're ready? Just in order to be able to service these bigger customers. Yeah, it's risk and reward, right? And it's it's one of those things. It's interesting. I've had lots of conversations. I work with a couple of people in, in the paper and packaging industry. And for a number of years, being a sustainable player in paper and packaging was a real differentiator. You could get some some real movement in your business if you were different than everybody else because you were super sustainable. But almost overnight in the last couple of years, that has no longer become a differentiator. It is table stakes. That's how I named my my podcast, Table Stakes. So the thing is, if you decide you're going to slow grow and you're not going to invest in ESG, you have to think about the risk of at some point when the switch flips and every customer needs you to be that and you drop the ball. So that's the thing that I think you have to weigh out the benefits and, and, and causes of. Well, as we saw it with GDPR, the one of the risks was that people that, that innovation wasn't going to happen, and the, the the barrier to entry was going to get so large that companies didn't go that you wouldn't yep. see them actually start. Are you seeing that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some where people are afraid to start, but there's also this sense, you know, uh, 
there's a feeling in, in the sort of chief sustainability officer world that sometimes our job is to put ourselves out of a job. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but some of these companies that are starting ESG are doing it a little bit backwards because it used to be, okay, I want to start a CSR and ESG function. Well, I hire someone, I staff a team, I go through this process of doing that. And that's true. And you can do that. But some of the best companies that I work with right now are saying, do we really need a team or do we build this into every leadership team member's job a little bit because the best ESG is baked into the DNA of the company. So if you have an opportunity as a small company to say, and you know, one of the companies I work with, um, Cologix, who's a data center management company, you know, they're going through this right now. Their head of technology has a piece of this. Their head of customers has a piece of this. Their head of HR has a piece of this. And you know, it's it's really working for them to build it into everybody's responsibility. This is uh, this is great. And I, I'm going to just ask now, Marcy. I hope you'll come back. We're getting to the end of our time, and boy, I have a thousand more questions on this. <laughs> Uh, because I, I see there are so many you know, coming coming out of the security and the privacy world. There's so many parallels here, um, and a lot I wanna I wanna see if they're if they're following similar paths. Um, but so I hope you will come back. And, yes, of and course. We'd love to have you. Consider this an open invite. And uh, to those listening, we'll let you know when uh, when Marcy is able to come back. Um, but now I think we're coming up on the end. And uh, Lisa Beth, you want to close it out? Yeah, we always close with our signature question, which is, what's the best advice you have ever received from a mentor? It's a great question, and I love it. Um, for me, it's really about the work that I do and impact. And, you know, my one of my people that I love is Dory McWhorter, who is the CEO of the YMCA Chicago, former CEO of the YWCA in Chicago. And Dory talks about the reason companies exist is to move society forward. And the same for people. The reason you exist is to move your impact forward. And if at any point you get to a point where you're feeling burned out, down, out in your career, look to the impact as your North Star and where can you have more impact? Where can you find those places? And whenever I find myself busy, I go back and volunteer for a day or do something that really like brings my impact back to the forefront. So that's the best advice. I always keep it top of mind. And phenomenal advice it is. Marcy Tweet, thank you so much for being here. Marcy, where can people find you? Um, people can find me on marcytweet.com or LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Marcy Tweet. So look Wonderful. forward to it. Thanks for having me. Sure. Marcy Tweet, uh, founder and CEO of Marcy Tweet Consulting and the Table Stakes podcast. Uh, thank you, Marcy. We'll uh, have you back soon, I promise. And uh, to everybody listening, thank you for being here. We really appreciate you spending your time. Uh, please uh, feel free to provide us feedback. We love to get feedback. Uh, info at mentorcore.biz. Uh, and uh, feel free to join. We have a Slack as well, a Slack group of community members. If you'd like to look for that, please come to our website, mentorcore.biz, uh, and look for the invite link. Thanks again, and we will see you on the next MentorCore. Core.